Okay, so today I'm in uh, East London. North. North London. North London. With um, South Londoner, natively, Steve Lewis Hamilton, professional gambler of uh, what, three or four decades now. Yep, 30 plus, 30 yeah, plus years, years now. So you're only, a, well, as far as I know, you are one of a handful of professional gamblers in the UK that's been around for that sort of time. Just briefly give people, wet people's appetites. What's the secret of staying ahead of the game? I wish there was one secret, Simon. I'm afraid there's not. Uh, for me, ev everybody works differently. But for me, it's down to, it's still hard work. And I'm still, 30 odd years later, I, I'm putting in more work now than I did when I first started. And it's just trying to keep on top of it. The bottom line, I can explain all the different things. The bottom line comes down to value, value betting. And I think that's a, a, a subject maybe that we'll touch on later, but um, that's what it comes down to. But the only way that you get that value or ascertain that value for me is by doing the prep work that I do. Okay, then we're going to go into all the nitty gritty, where you came from, how you work, how you used to work, all that stuff. But we're going to buck the trend a bit with these interviews, first of all. You want to talk about the future of betting or mm. gambling. I, mean, I don't even know myself what you're going to say. So. Fire away! I know some of this you you're um, keen to. Yeah, it's, it, it's it's at the moment. I've, it's really concerning as to what direction we're heading in, um, because I think with everything in life, the main thing that you need is knowledge. You need knowledge, and you need to know um, how a particular whatever business it is, how does it operate. If you're looking at a sport, why does team A beat team B? What's the mechanics behind it? And I just feel with betting now, it's so limited as to where anybody can bet. If you've got any um, idea, any clue, any edge at all, it's nigh on impossible to bet with a bookmaker. So you're forced onto the exchanges. Um, and that's where now the vast majority of my betting goes is on the exchanges and I just feel that the bookmakers in a way are missing a trick we've got a new generation obviously everybody seems to want quick results they want they're on their phones so it's uh, a quick uh, bet on whether it's the football the cricket and they want to be in and out what concerns me the most is that bookmakers at the moment appear to me to be promoting betting but once, uh, and they're using sports to do that, but once they've got those people betting uh, on a particular sport, they're trying to wing them over to virtual reality betting, to, to slot machine betting online, whether it's slot machine betting in the shops. Um, and people need to understand that you can't win doing that. Long term, you can't win doing that, it's impossible. The book, that's why bookmakers are trying to get people onto it. And I just feel if people were, in general, if there was an explanation as to odds percentages, the reasons why or how you can win, um, that it is feasible. If you've got uh, an expertise at any particular sport, whether it's, as I say, football, cricket, rugby, there is a chance that you can win providing you understand the odds and the percentages in there. But nobody seems to explain that. And I just feel, and if anybody does have an idea, as I've just said, once they start to win, albeit in small amounts with a bookmaker, you're given the sack or your, your stake is so heavily prohibited that it's, it's not worthwhile. So I just feel that if there was a level or if there was a competition, Going back to back in the day when you used to, when I used to be on the track, it was you against the bookmaker. You understood what the percentages were, you understood what the prices meant, and it gave you an opportunity to bet against them. And the same token, they were betting against you because they wanted to take you on. That's how the money went backwards and forwards. Now it seems to be very much one way. And uh, I just feel that if the bookmakers opened up a bit, there would be. To have that level competition that the bookmakers give you fair prices about any sporting event and the punter understood what he was actually doing in backing that team or that horse or whatever it was, that player in a tennis match, if he under understood or she understood the odds percentages, wouldn't that be a fairer world? And maybe 
I have no stats with this. I just wonder how long do you have a client? Uh, 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 does the bookmaker have a client stroke punter betting with them if they're betting on sports and they knew what they were doing? How long once they wean them over to on slot, uh, online slot machines or online casino betting? What's the longevity of that particular punter? How long do they last? I don't know, but I don't think it'd be a great deal of time. Whereas you could have somebody that was betting on sports, you could have them for a lifetime. You may still win off of them, but it'd be a slow process and that money would be turned over. A little bit pie in the sky maybe, but that's, um, yeah, so it's just a view. And I just think that this knowledge thing, and I've got detailed, a deal, I have details of how I think it would work within horse racing, which is my, my expertise. And just on the track, that if there was more knowledge put, when somebody visited the track, that each trainer or a jockey of a particular horse in a particular race was interviewed. If you had an expert prior to each race or before racing, explaining to the people at the track what was going on after the race, that there's an explanation as to why horse A, B or C ran like that. There's an explanation from the jockey why that horse was ridden that way. So that people can feel that they have an idea, whereas at the moment they go racing, there's a big thing at the moment, how do you, how do you keep uh, more people, or, or, or how do you turn the race goer, the casual race goer, into an enthusiast? And it's by giving them knowledge, so that they understand so somebody is actually holding that, not literally, but they're telling them what's going on in the paddock. Why is that horse carrying that weight? Why is that horse only carrying that weight? As I say, why is it ridden in a particular way? And once people get a knowledge, then they maybe have an opinion. Why are football so successful uh, as a betting medium? It's because everybody's got an opinion. How many people have an opinion on a horse race? Very, very few, because nobody really understands it. So... It's a bit of a rant from me, and I think, I just feel that it should be managed, or it could be managed so much better, and so much more, you could get so much more out of it for just very little effort, but I'm not too sure there's anybody in the, that has got the power to actually say, right, this is what we're going to do. I know race courses at the moment, you know, they get the bands in after racing, fine, if they get any income, great, but how many of the people that turn up for that meeting to watch the band how many do you get back whereas if you actually basically what you give them is if you're a subscriber to racing tv for instance you get all this information that's fed while you're watching the tv i think the people at the track should be getting that information and at the moment they don't the only people at the track that may get it are those that are in corporate hospitality and maybe they bring in an expert but you still don't have the interviews with trainers jockeys owners which would, it would just make it very much more accessible then to the general public. Yeah, from a betting point of view, I'm just, just sort of thinking as you're talking there, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to have the equivalent in percentage next to the price with a line down the card as to where that 100% mark comes, you know, something like that, so that every time a, a punter saw a price, they knew what mm. percentage that was without even trying to learn it over a period of time. But other uh, bookmakers that sponsor these uh... and and that's the that's the issue Simon at the moment you, you know it's only been very recent times they're they're returning their own SPs yeah so they're returning their own SPs and you, I can look on where is the so that they're returning in theory a fair SP so they're only returning 10 12 14 percent per race but that's now given to the bigger price ones the front of the market is all skinned up. And I would almost 100% guarantee that every price on a, the front three or four in the market would be bigger on the exchanges than it would be what the bookmakers are offering. And it's wrong. You know, I, I, that's why. You, so if people understood that, I fully accept lots of people don't want to understand it. It becomes too complicated. If people turn around, I just want to have a bet. But surely there would be some that it may just think, ah, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in that. Um, and just realise, because you wouldn't, I always ask, like, why do people want to bet? Why do, what are you, are you looking for entertainment? Is it just a pure leisure thing? Does it give you more interest 
interest when you're watching a particular match or race that you have to have a bet on it. But I know from when I started, it was like, you have to make the decision. Are you prepared to lose? How much are you prepared to pay for that entertainment? Or am I really looking to win? Is it feasible to win? Can I win? And if it, if, if it is, how do I go about doing it? And so all those questions have to be answered if you want to do it. Otherwise, as we've seen with so many people, it's a, it is a road to rack and ruin. If you don't know, and, but if you understand why you may get to the bottom line, why you may get to, uh, I can't carry on doing this because it's not feasible, fine. But people get there without knowing. It's just, and especially the other thing now that you've got with betting on your phone, with betting on your laptop, you don't see any cash. It's just painless loss, isn't it? You can like, you, you just go bang, 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 tap that in, all of a sudden 10, 20, 30, 50 quid's gone missing. Whereas if you're having to get that cash out of your pocket and pay over, you can actually see it moving. And I think, again, that's, um, that, that can be taken advantage of, and I certainly think it is. But then what you're saying there really could be a tool. There's a lot of talk about responsible gambling, and quite rightly so. It, educating the punters and how it works could actually be a tool in that, in that respect where they, if they understand the percentages, they understand then they can make a more informed decision absolutely about what if they're going to really toss their money away in some races which they almost invariably are if it's stacked against them and when it's mm. but, um, uh, i think that, that that's absolutely true all you it's getting back to that point i said at the very beginning it's knowledge and education if you've got that then you allow them if people want to make that decision that's entirely up to them but if they're getting a fair crack of the whip if we're all and and then going Back, I can use that as an example. Going back uh, when I was betting on track, there were some tracks you, you were a bit reticent to go to simply because the bookmakers weren't there that you could bet with. You couldn't get your money on. So in the end, you wound up thinking, well, I'm not getting a fair crack out of it here, so I'm not going to go there. There are other tracks that you would make an effort to go to. The racing may have been difficult, but to get up to Scotland, you could get on what you wanted because the bookmaker, the books there were so strong north of England pretty much and there's certain southern tracks where again overall the market was so strong because you were taking on they understood the game the books the, the the good punters understood the game and it was a battle and that money turned over and there was winners and losers both ways but everybody was in the game for a lot longer as it stands now they're just trying to get people through to me, it appears they want to take the money off them what they can, then they're cast aside and it's like, get, let, let's get the next lot in. And very recently, I've just, only this past weekend, two lads and I just, uh, that were a function I were at and they were just betting on their phones and it just highlighted to me. I started talking to and asked. They didn't know who I, who I was and what I did. And I just asked them and they didn't have a clue. It was just like, they wanted quick turnover. It was like, oh, we, we've had that bet. Now we're going to do that in running. And, we, and they had no idea. I just put a couple of questions to them. And I thought, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to do your money. You might not do your money right then, but you will do by the end of the year. You know what's, what's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I, I just feel that may, maybe, it, as I say, it's pie in the sky. Maybe that's not going to happen. But I feel it could be. It could happen. And I think it could be the, to the benefit of all sports, sports betting and the sports punter, if they just felt and understood what they were trying to do. Okay, Steve, so we've um, we sort of talked a bit about what your, your worries about the future, but uh, your past, now I, I also do my research, but uh, you could have almost became a professional footballer. You ran pubs at King's Cross when King's Cross won as salubrious as it is now. You worked at Smithfields, sure. but then you became a board marker in a betting shop in the afternoon. That's where your uh, interest, serious interest in betting took place. Or have I got that totally wrong? Not totally wrong. They're, they're, they're all things that happen, but maybe not in that order. Um, so we did have a pub at King's Cross, we also had a pub down the Old Kent Road that we run. Um, that was pre, 
pre going pre pro betting obviously so i was fairly young doing that but um to get me in racing i've always been involved with racing i've always loved horse racing so i, I was born in bermondsey south london couldn't be f further away from horse racing uh, um, and what it involves but we used to go as a family we used to go racing we used to go derby every year so six six of us in the family literally every year since I can remember till I was in my mid-teens and even I used to take my two brothers racing we used to go when they had the military meeting at Sandown that used to be midweek on one day and I used to take I would have only been I was under 11 9 or 10 my two younger brothers we used to get on the train from Waterloo go to Isha go to Sandown for the military meeting. Remember taking them in. We used to be in the centre of the track just because all three of us just used to love watching horses jump. You could go by the open ditch in front of the stands and watch the horse jumping. So I loved horse racing. So for me, the betting came secondary because the betting then enabled me to get involved or stay involved with horse racing because I had no other avenue into it. And then as many of us have gone through that experience from being betting even betting as an, an early teenager for very small amounts going right the way through to when I started work and then betting what I was earning when I started work losing <laughs> losing literally you could lose a, a week's wages in an afternoon and then it, it came to the, the the crux for me was hold on I can't afford to do this is it feasible? Asking myself all those questions. I didn't have any immediate answers, but then I will cut a long story short. I was playing football then. So I was football. I was playing football. I was coaching football. That basically was my life. Uh, football involved, but I wasn't good enough to turn full-time pro. Um, and then I got a job at Smithfield. I was working Smithfield in the mornings, finishing at about 11 o'clock, half 10, 11 working as a bull marker in the afternoon and that's where it ties in the bull marker in the afternoon uh, it was a shop in broccoli where I was living at the time and the manager of that shop was a keen form student and I'd never seen a time form black book before I'd never seen the time form manuals before and I just got chatting to him and he talked me through it and so I spent oh, I was doing that for the best part of two years um, and then just started experimenting with my own betting. And the first thing he said to me, if you want to do it, make sure you keep your results, write them down. He said, because you will remember your winners and you will forget your losers. And it's a thing that I've always, I started doing and would always advise anybody to do. And then it was just a matter of trying to break down. It was very, very novice in them days, like what type of races I could bet in. And also, what I touched on earlier, just trying to understand the odds, understand what chance I did have. So that's really how it all began. And then that sort of carried on. I did start keeping my own, uh, my own results uh, and how I was doing. And then over a period of time, which would have been around two to three years, I actually got a staking system that I was sticking to. And for a year, I just stuck rigidly to that staking system and I won. Um, not fortunes, but I won quite substantially for what I was betting. My maximum bet, even in those days, was 50 quid. I still got 50 quid on um, and because I could increase it as I was winning. And then my logic was when I went full time, well, well it, it wasn't initially full time, but when I started betting more heavily was, well, if I've won this amount betting £50 maximum, I could win 10 times more betting 500 quid maximum. And I didn't know how to, how to raise that bank to start with. How am I going to do it? And I was, I was seeing my, now, my, my wife, now I was seeing her at the time. She lived in Derbyshire. We were in the pub, her parents had a pub. We was having, the lads having a drink, Sunday lunchtime all talking about what would be the ideal career you would like to do. And I said, I'd like to gamble. 
and they laughed and I went no I'd really like to do that I said but I don't know how to get started because I've not got the money I know I need a tank to start with a bank to start with and one of them just said why don't you borrow it and on the drive back this is absolutely true on the drive back I was chatting with my wife I suggested it I said well look that's what I've been winning you know you've, you've seen the figures um, how about if we borrow the money and start and I went to Barclays uh, Lloyds Bank beg your pardon uh, Lloyds Bank at Smithfield that week and borrowed 10 grand for a home improvement and that's how I kicked off um, just going to take you back a bit sure. there. people are always asking about staking now I'm guessing it wasn't a retrieval type staking plan can you give us a rough idea of what it was well, an idea of what staking plan you were using it's basically you were I was then, which I still do now, That the system that I used then is not too dissimilar to what I use now. Basically, you price up a race, and I was pricing up races then, and I would have, I would, I would know how much, so for instance, for instance, if I put a horse in at even money, I thought it had a 50% chance, even money, that would for me represent a, a good bet only if it was bigger price than that even money. So if, again, use that as an example. I've, I've done a race, evaluated the, the race. I've got horse A in at even money. The books are offering six to four. So I've got 10% on what I think. That pretty much for me would represent, that's pretty much maximum bet material. First of all, I think the horse has got an excellent chance of winning. Plus I'm getting 10% over what I think his chances of winning. So that would represent having my maximum bet on. If it was only even money, I wouldn't bet it in the first place. And the bigger the price discrepancy, those days, which is slightly different now, but those days I would, I would always top up. So again, fictitious, but if that even money shot happened to be two to one or nine to four, I would have more on and more on. So basically you, what you were trying to do or what I was trying to do was take maximum advantage of when I thought there was true value there. It's different nowadays because you can't help it, but the way the market is now, if a horse is much bigger, a much bigger price than I've got it in, I tend to think it's suspect. I tend to think somebody may know something in that race that I don't know about. Um, so I didn't really have those thoughts. Maybe I was a little bit novices because I did get caught out on a couple of occasions with that. But that's basically how I worked at the, the, the staking system. Now, we're talking only a few years after you started doing it. So you got quite advanced. I mean, most people can accurately price up a race mm. now. I know, you know, I know everybody that talked, we'll talk about this a bit later on, but everybody that I speak to that makes a living betting is able to do that. Mm. And also, it was 10% tax at that time in the betting shop in the betting shop when so I that first was quite a feat off. to show a profit yeah but that was that was built in I'll, I'll go back on that uh, Simon because those those early years it, it was 10% in the shop but and there was also of course tax early on the early days when I very first started if I remember Luckily correctly before my time oh, right yeah right, <laughs> but then um I built in, into my figures, into my profit and loss account, I built in, so what happens if I wasn't paying 10% on that? And there was always, and I'm still not sure, I wouldn't be able to answer this question now, but I always used to ask it to myself then, where, where does the value, where, did this, where does the financial value in betting with a tax, pay your 10% on, so you're not, you're, getting it, you're not paying it on your returns, or do you just pay it on your returns? And basically, it depended on how well you were doing, how many winners you backed. Because with all these things, uh, if you didn't pay on and the horse won, you was paying a chunk back off your winnings. But once you was paying a chunk on before the, before the, the, the race, then obviously uh, then it got beat. You're thinking, I've, I've given that away. I, I don't know that there was an absolute right or wrong way to do that. It was just depending on what results you got, what returns you were getting. Well, if you were winning, then it was a no-brainer to pay on. Put pay on, yeah. But, but, it, it, um, but it most depended. people didn't win, but they still confident enough to pay on, kidding themselves. That's what. I, but I think if you paid, if you were going to have a tenner without tax, 
or instead you paid nine pound and paid bet nine pound and bet the tax. Bet the tax. Slightly and, better off. Yeah, that was it. I think Absolutely. I worked it yeah, out. Yeah. So anyway, we go on from that because a lot for a lot of people watching this is before their time. Sure. So you borrowed ten grand to get going. You mm. were, I was going to ask if it was confidence or the exuberance of youth, but obviously you were confident because you'd proven yourself over a period of time mm. you'd win. Now, how big was that tank compared to your staking? It worked out. The figure that I used, which again, I, I think fairly, you could use it now. I wanted 20, I wanted 20 times my maximum bet. That's how I, I kicked off initially. So a thousand pound for me, 50 quid bet. And then I thought, well, if I have if I've got in reserve 20 times my maximum bet, I can't think that I'm going to go through that. There would be, there would be, I, w- I would have a backup there. And it is, it is the confidence of, uh, it's naivety, to be honest, but when you kick off like that. And now, when I, if I think back to where I was then, to where I am now, I, I do sometimes wish I was a bit like I was then because you were you, you have to be slightly fearless in what you do. And th- the secret that I always found to not worrying about losing wasn't just not look at it as money. That that ten thousand pound in effect was ten thousand I used to call them units and I would I was betting in units and I was winning and losing in units. If I ever thought at that time I've lost you know so I've lost 500 units instead of 500 quid it would have been far more um, uh, far more frightening to actually do it and I'm not sure that I would have been able to and that's that's the danger as you get older if we all get you know we all get older because of the 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 experiences that you've had Obviously, they have an effect on you, but I would say I think it's just made me a far more, uh, more calculating, selective punter, um, and that 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 also comes with the territories, it is now like the opportunities that they used to be on track. When I just spoke about uh, getting value, well, the value was there, and you could get. I wouldn't say every day, but there was value to be had on the track simply because the markets were only formed relatively late you know at times you'd be at the track the markets didn't go up till 10-15 minutes mm. before the off and so you were sort of stood on your marks knowing who you could get on with to try and there would be a rick made they used to a lot of the time as well as having people actually doing their tissue prices they used to take the prices out of their sport in life in the early days and they used to be ricks but nowadays the markets are up 24-48 hours before the off bigger races even earlier than that so those markets have time uh, to adjust and so therefore there's not the marked mistakes that there used to be back in the day so you have to f- tread far more carefully be far more selective but thankfully there are still mistakes that are made and I can still take advantage of them now I'm going to interrupt here because listening you say 20 times your normal stake now you must in hindsight have had much worse losing runs than that that would have wiped you out had you hit one straight away yeah because people say a hundred times or whatever, you know, you've got to be super cautious. I mean, 20 is not a difficult level losing run of 20, is it? Right. But if, if that maximum bet that you had, you had very rarely. And also, this, this, had, a, this had a bit of a, it was a bittersweet thing. Because when I kicked off, my first week of punting, I, I started the uh, beginning of the jump season, down at Newton Abbott and Exeter, up to market raising. First week, five, just under five grand I won in cash. And that, that enhanced my tank straight away. So in theory, I can see where you're getting from, but it happened to work. Okay, now I want to ask you a bit about those. So you're a young man and you've decided to go onto race courses to be a professional gambler. Now, I'm probably on the race course a couple of years after you've started doing that. There's some really intimidating characters on the race course. It's a cauldron compared to what it is now. Absolutely. Bookmakers and punters, and you have your private layers, and the floor men would be, you know. So did you not find that intimidating at all when you first started out? 
No, I don't think I did. Uh, it got me asking, asking myself that question now. I don't think I did, Simon. Uh, what, what happened, I said about just now about the, uh, you know, the, the great first week that I had, but the start that I had, it really, it was great at the time, but it, it, it was a little bit of a full storm for me, I confess, because I was so, I did so well early on that I actually had, I can't tell you the exact amount of time, but was certainly within, within a month of being full-time on the track, I was marking a card for one of the big punters at the track. I was getting more off of him doing that for, for one card than I was earning at Smithfield. And I thought, that, you know, what, what, why have I been so long in doing this? Uh, and then that all developed. And so instead of being an outsider coming in and trying to find my way, all of a sudden I was, and I think people could see, you know, when I look back now, people that you've interviewed in, in this series that I met fairly early on going there, uh, when I started going to the track. But um, I think people respected me because, even, you know, I was putting in so much work and I, I did have an opinion. And it wasn't a, an opinion that was based on, oh, yeah, so-and-so's tipped this up or a bit of stable information. You know, I understood where, I, because of that apprenticeship in a way that I'd served for two years, working at Smithfield, going racing, that was me, that was the basis. And because I went through that, um, I think people had a, I'd like to think people had a respect for how I operated and what I did, and, and also my opinion. Um, and so I never really felt, you know, I never felt out of place. And it, it was a great, a, a great environment to be in at the time because wherever you went, you know, if you was down the southwest, if you was in the London courses, you used to go to the Midlands and up north. As I said earlier, you know, trips to Scotland. Um, but then I was in London early on, and then I'm, 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 we moved to Derbyshire, where my wife's from, and that enabled me to sort of do Midlands and everywhere. Um, so you always knew the people that you uh, that you were betting with, that you were betting against. And uh, it, yeah, it was just a, a great environment. And saying about marking a card for uh, one of the big punters, and then that developed. You know, I, I marked cards for other punters. I marked cards for bookmakers, and some of them only had a limited life because it didn't suit either them or didn't suit me. Um, but yeah, it, it, I just became part of that, and and it it seemed to be at the time very natural. Okay, and, and really enjoyable. Right, people get that sick of us. People of a certain age talk about how wonderful it was on the, in the betting rings back in the good old days, which of course it was. But we're going to fast forward to now. So where do you do most of your betting? Exchanges. Um, simply because, uh, uh, I don't know, who else do you bet with unless you, uh, unless you happen to be somebody who wants to bet illegally with somebody. Um, it's, it's exchanges. Again, it, prices are being able to get on. It's got its limitations, but it's also got its advantages. And, and I, you know... I'm not one to just say, oh, it was great then. There are advantages now. Um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't lay back like you can now. You, if, you know, people, so many people work in different ways now, and I fully appreciate that. And maybe I could be construed as being a, a bit of an old fuddy-duddy in the way that I work, because basically I still work the way that I used to, but it gives me avenues now. Um, so where I was saying you have to be so selective now, which you do because a lot of the time the value isn't there. Lots of the time the markets will be very similar to my own, but you have got the advantage if you want to take it of in running trading. Um, you can bet, bet and lay back, which you, you couldn't do uh, pre, pre-exchanges. So you have got that. I'm not, uh, this is another thing to get back to the knowledge and education with punters in general. I'm not too sure with the in running punting you know there was the heyday of the in running the, the lads on the track that are betting five to eight seconds in front of people at home and people at home that are betting in running don't even realize that was going on but that heyday to me from what I can gather talking to people has finished because all the wise lads that were doing it seem to be betting against themselves now yeah. so um, all these things have their their limited period I think 
Right, Steve, I've got to, this is the bit that I need to know the answer to, and everybody just bluffs me. Value. Now, all you professional punters talk about, you've got to get value. Now, everybody I ask about value, uh, there's got to be some sort of mechanics to it, because everybody puts it down to like a sixth sense. They just know when it's value. Now, is there a, have you got like a formula that you can share with the people that are watching, how you can spot a Rick, or is it, the way you look at a race differently, but how do you know when something is value? Because nobody can tell me. Well, this is my perception of it. And I, as you said, I can get annoyed because some people seem to equate a big price with value. So they go, that's eight to one, that's 10 to one, that's value. Well, no. The way that I equate value is I must be able to price up every horse in horse racing, every horse in a race. It's completely subjective, but that's where you have a chance because if it wasn't subjective, then everybody would have the same, uh, the same prices and uh, you couldn't win. But I've got enough confidence in how I operate that I can price up. So if I've got an eight runner race, I will price up every horse in that race. If I can't price, one or two of them, maybe one's not been out for six months or one's never gone on the ground, then you have, I have to build that in as part and I may have to estimate. Um, but what I'm always looking for is that once I've got done, so once I've done my homework, once I've done my form work, which takes a long time, but once I've done that, and then I've formulated my prices, then it's just a matter of comparing my prices against what's on offer, or what probably will be on offer with the bookmakers. And then knowing that I can't get them with the bookmakers, but then you know on the exchanges, it'll be roughly the same. And I would just highlight the races where I think there may be a mistake. And it's also knowing, understanding why a horse may be, may be a bigger price than I've got it in and sometimes not being frightened of that. It's, it's understanding. So again, just as an example, you can have a horse that you may think is temperamental, may not always want to go forward. But if I've worked out that the race may fall for it, and they, he may be up against, this particular horse may be up against three or four others that are at the front of the market, or that may be fancied, that also are not completely genuine, then maybe that stable wouldn't really want to back their horse because they know it's a little bit temperamental. But if I've built that into my, my prices, then that horse can become value. Just knowing that, well, I know it's temperamental, but this race might be in its favour. So it, it's putting all the pieces together, and there's a lot of things to put together. But once I've done that, the most crucial thing for me is to be able to price. And then once that's how I construe value, you know, that's how I get to the point where I'm saying, right, I've got that, that's two to one, it's in at five to two, it's in at three to one. The bigger the, bigger the price is compared to mine, obviously the bigger the value is. And I will not, and it's just a rule that I've had ever since I started, I will not back horses under my price. And it stops me backing a lot of winners, I concede, but it stops me backing losers as well. Mm. And overall, again, figures tell me, keep emphasising to me, you've got to stick to that. That's the only way. And that comes back to what I'm saying. If, you, if you're betting on fixed odds, if you're betting on the online slot machine, the online casino, you know those odds are fixed against you. You could get in at just the right time and get win, 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 think this is good. But you know if you do that for a hundred times, in the end you're going to lose. It's interesting you say that you um, you miss a lot of winners. So if you miss out, that's assuming that they go off shorter than what you know. What I've got them made in. It. So yeah. do you not think that sometimes you've been a little bit too overcautious and that you've made ricks in your pricing, that's why you've missed the winners? Sure. Uh, that, Is that I, something I, that you sort of try and work out why you did that? Yeah, um, but... The, again, not the secret, but what you try and do is try to um, work that out prior to the race and not after. But obviously, I try and make a point every after every every day. So basically, when there's racing on, I'm betting if it's racing that that, that interests me. After it finishes, I will go for my 
hour-long walk and run through it all in my head and just try to work out, did I make a mistake there? Obviously, because the pricing is subjective, I will not be 100% accurate, but I've got enough confidence in the, the way that I work, the way that I formulate my prices, which has been for 30 odd years, that I know that my prices will be right more than they will be wrong. And if, if you do get that situation where there's a, you know, there's plenty of races where there will be a, what I call a question mark horse. It may have come from Ireland, as I say, it may not have run for six months. Again, back in the day, the things that have changed so much, Simon, is that I remember when, we, you first, when I was first going, you really wouldn't entertain a horse that hadn't run for, certainly if it hadn't run for a year, it's got a problem, it won't be fit. And paddock inspection used to tell you that, well, that needs to run. Nowadays, every trainer, it seems to me, is more than capable of getting a horse ready after a break, no matter what's gone wrong. So they have to be included. And maybe if I'm doing a race and there's one of those, depending on what type of race it is, but it's from a big trainer and it's a big race and it's not run for a year, I'll, I would certainly be wary of it, if not wanting to back it. Um, it ties in also, I have to tie in then with maybe this is where a little bit of information doesn't come amiss. You know, just knowing that somebody that I know from a particular stable yard wants to back it or not back it. And if it is in that situation where it's a big race, this also looks to be really well handicapped, has ideal conditions, and it looks to have been aimed at this race, if person B doesn't want to have his couple of quid on, then I think, well, there may be more to it than that. If he wants to have his maximum bet on it, then obviously that tends to think, oh yeah, well, the horse said that this has been the plan. Right. It, and it never used to be able, they never used to be able to do it like they, they do now. Martin Pipe, he, he, he set the standard with this, getting horses ready, being able to run when they hadn't appeared on the race course for God knows how long. Okay, right, so we'll talk about your informant network in the next part, but I still want to know about this value. So if somebody, a bright young lad, 18 years old, 20 year old, knows racing, really enthusiastic, if he said to you, Steve, can you teach me how you look at a race and perceive value? Is it something that you could teach somebody or is it just an inherent talent that you've got? No, you can teach it. You can? Definitely. Definitely. Somebody, I'd, I'd love to, yeah. I've sat down because I've done it with my own son. I've done it with my son-in-law and they understood the mechanics of it. You can teach somebody how to do it. The thing is, that piece, person that you teach how to do it, can they assimilate the information that they need to do it accurately and be uh, right more often than they're wrong. You can do it, it's, it's simpler to do with football if you've only got three outcomes. So if you can build in, but the, the, the striker's not playing, the, the centre-back's not playing, it's a weak match and they're up. If you can build all that in, just getting the three prices right on the outcome of a football match is far easier to do in theory than it would be for a, for a horse race. But it's definitely a teachable skill. Right, Steve, I'm, I've had the pleasure of talking to quite a few successful backers and you're the first one I've, well, the first one I've met of the people that admit to studying form and not just getting their cards marked, who says that they also take notice of a network of, uh, I assume a network of informants. Um, is it sort of inside info as in, you haven't seen the best of this one yet, you know, as in it's been sort of not showing its best, or is it just this is fit or a mixture of the two or I mean, why did you suddenly, not suddenly, why did you go down that road where you're obviously very good at just picking your own winners? It came, it came the other way around, Simon, because I got talking again, back when I was on the track, I used to speak to uh, only a couple of trainers and then there was a couple of owners I used to speak to and then I started doing some place work for one of the trainers. He was quite a big trainer back then. He's, he's not with us anymore, unfortunately. But um, I started doing a, a, quite a bit of placing. 
and not directly saying you should run this horse in this race, but basically he'd have horses entered up um, at whatever track, and then I would have a look at those races and just say, yeah, well, you know, it looks to have a good chance because I think it's whatever weak race or this is a really strong race, there may be, you've got this and this to beat. And so at that time, it just, it just, I think, put him on the right track of where he should put those horses. That went on for quite a time, as a matter of fact. You know, we became quite good friends. But what I did, or what really hit home with that arrangement, and in also other arrangements, when I, I, I was, there was a fairly big owner as well that I used to chat to with that, what told the story is whether they wanted to have their money on. So if I could put their few quid on with mine, then that just emphasised uh, how well they fancied their particular horse. And that's really all, all that I do now. I would never, um, I would never ever back a horse just on information. But if there was a race where using that example I said previously, where a horse hadn't run for a time. If you offer somebody the option of backing their horse at a fair price, bookmakers have always done it, used to do it years ago. They offer ex-trainer, ex-owner, a jockey, do you want to back your horse? They give them the best price. They know whether that horse is fancied or not. So I knew that the books were doing it then. So I thought, well, if the books are getting it and getting an edge, alongside my form work and what I'm seeing, surely it won't do any harm to have that on side with me. And really, that's all that's happened. And I think to say it's a network of connections is a bit elaborate. It's, that's a bit over the top. There's certain people, uh, and especially in recent years, um, where the Irish racing has become very much intertwined with our own, that I needed information because the Irish work a little bit differently to what we do with their, the way they place their horses and how they operate, it was a necessity that I tried to get that information uh, because they were tying in, especially at the, 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 um, the bigger meetings, at national hunt meetings. So it was a necessity that I, I got some information as regards them. So that's all that's happened. And basically now all I would do is, if I needed confirmation that a horse was okay, fit and well, then maybe having that quick brief chat, asking whether they were gonna back it, it does no harm. But, you know, I still maintain, but, but you know, for somebody to ring up and say, we've got a flying machine, um, it's been, uh, you should be backing this. I would never ever back it unless it tied in with my own form work. Okay, now you concentrate on, if I got this right again, quality racing, as opposed to the lower grade stuff. No, not quite right, Simon. No, quality on. quality racing with a flat. Right, okay. The flat I will only basically listed and above on the flat. All national hunt racing. National hunt racing is my passion. It always has been, and so I, I do all national hunt racing, and I watch all national hunt racing. The flat simply by the amount of racing, the number of horses running. Uh, that's not to say I'm, I'm, I'm correcting, for me it suits. If other people concentrate on low grade flat, fine. Sprinters, fine. You, you do need to specialise. But because I've got that passion, always have had with national hunt racing, I've still got that now. And so that's why I follow national hunt racing. And with a flat, I needed, once the seasons uh, are very much like they are now, again, the, the jump racing throughout the summer, nigh on, you have a, a couple of three weeks off, um, then to to follow the flat in any more detail is practically an impossibility. I couldn't do it. So that, that that's why I operate like I do. Okay, now a lot of people might have heard of you because you have been a, are you allowed to call you a tipster or what, what would you describe yourself well, as? Since 1995, anyway, uh, you've been offering your advices. Advice, advisory service. Yeah, advisory yeah. service to, to punters. So yeah. it is, do you feel that you have to do a bit of flat to keep your, your punters happy or is that not really um and and, and myself as well i think because I, I do enjoy you know it's not that i don't enjoy flat racing um so yeah, but top level flat racing is is fantastic to watch um 
it's getting, it's having the edge still. You know, I, I feel, I've been, I've been fairly profitable on the flat, but so selective on the flat. I'm just so selective because the markets just seem to be so accurate to me. And especially at that top level, because everybody's seeing that. Everybody's using every figure that you can think of uh, as far as time, top speed figures. Um, and so therefore I find that the opportunities on the flat are very limited. But with the jumps, I still feel I have quite a significant edge and that's why I prefer that. So why did you decide to, to become a an advisory service? I mean, just for one, it must put you under an awful lot more pressure than you're under if you're just doing your own money. You know, when you've got people that are paying you and you're, having, you're out of form, they're doing their cobblers, it, it must be a bit, you know, obviously, it hopefully it doesn't happen that lot that often, but is it, why did you decide to share your knowledge like that? Uh, it was a business. At that time, I've just, again, mentioned earlier, I was marking cards for bookmakers, other, other punters, and it was the heyday, I think, at that time, uh, of the premium rate telephone line, people were doing that, and it was suggested to me by two people in particular, why don't you do this? You know, there's people out there that are earning quite a bit of money that really haven't got a clue. They're using a bit of information. People are ringing these telephone lines, charging whatever it was at then, and they were getting money out of it. 28p a minute, isn't it? Oh, well, <laughs> and, and keep, on, keep on for 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm not talking about the weather. But, um, but they said, like, you, it would really work for you. And so I wasn't happy doing the premium rate line. I didn't think that. But I did think, well, yeah, what, why, not, why not share that? Um, I say share it, but it was sharing it for a profit. It was a pure business venture. So I'm, I'm not hiding behind that. It wasn't, you know, because obviously the question is always, well, if you're earning so much, why do you need to run a tipping service? Why do you need to ride, run an advisory service? Well, I was going to earn more. That's the bottom line. And, and if that helped with bringing up a family, saying to my wife, well, we've got this income coming in as well as that income, then I'd be a fool not to do it. And it's just carried on. Again, from what it was like then to what it was like now is different. There's so much more information available now that people can gather free of charge. You know, you can, you know the, the racing is covered in so much more detail than what it was then. You know, remember back then there were no videos you know, I was going racing and watching racing live and then watching the replay in the tote shop afterwards, making my own notes, doing my, even when I started then was my own handicap and my own rating system, which I still maintain now. But so that, that situation, and then it goes back to what I was saying earlier about punters mentality now. They seem to want a quick fix now. What, what, why do people want to go into racing now? Are they looking to earn a profit? Do they just want to have the thrill of having a bet? If they just want to have the thrill of having a bet, then they can get a tip off of everybody. Paper, the, the Racing Post have put up bets. You can go onto any of the websites that give you bets. But if you want to earn long-term, if you think I've got uh, X amount that I think I would like to have a 10, 15% profit on that at the end of the year, then I think, well, you know, that's why I'm still running it as well. And that seems to be the clientele I've got at the moment that have got that long-term view. And the, the big danger about them, I suppose, in the current climate is you'd be a victim of your own success because their account's going to be whittled down one after another. That, that is, is there any sort of practical advice to them when they first start? Don't, you know, is there anything you sort of say to them, this is what's going to happen to try, this is what's going to keep your accounts? Or... It's, so, it's so difficult now. And, and I'm afraid the only advice now is make sure you're on the exchanges because if you are again it's it's such a criticism i've got with the books uh, the bookmakers but you don't even need to be earning a fortune it's flagged up if they've got if they if it comes up whatever system they use but if it comes up that this punter actually knows what he's doing so they're having the type of bets what I think, mm, well, he, you know, that, that's, there's somebody here that's, that, that, that knows 
uh, how to bet, then pretty much you're restricted and you can't you can't do it. So therefore, what what's the only way out? The only way out is well, therefore you have to wait for the exchanges. You've got a bet on the exchanges, um, and it's that's why I think it's a sadness, and I, I still think. Now, going back to that, the bookmaker's still missing a trick. There's a lot of punters out there. They're not all going to be winners, but you're missing them simply because you won't allow them to bet unless they're betting on your online gaming, uh, 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 online casinos and, and gaming. Uh, they, they don't want them. They don't want to entertain them. Okay, right. We're going to go into the... We want as many people that watch this to become those type of punters that the bookmakers don't want. So we need some bullet pointy type answers to these now. Right. right. Um, the most important aspect of form... The most... The, sorry, the least important aspect of form that novices concentrate too much on. Is not to... Con is to, to look at the over round. You need to look at it as a whole. And you also need to, I think, look at each race on its merits. I don't think there's an over, overriding strategy that you have to it. Each race on its merits, try to opt, and therefore, if you just concentrate on the highest rated, then you discard going, you discard distance. No, you can't just go on the highest rated horse, even in a seller or a conditions race. Okay, what's the most important thing in your mind that's often overlooked by your average Joe punter? Um, Form-wise, I would say, is how that race would pan out. So it's all well and good having um, a horse that you think's got an excellent chance, but if that horse is only going to perform off of a strong gallop, and you've only got four horses, and none of them want to make the running, and it can become, become messy. So it's actually how that race will be run. I think it's very important, and lots of the public won't do that. Okay. Um... Now, you said you went on the exchanges, so you're probably not a problem you've had to deal with, but caught the odds of first four, a fifth of the odds of first five, went bit in each way in handicaps. Ooh. Um, it depends very much on the race. So if you're talking to me about an e-boy handicap with 20-odd runners, uh, and out of them you've probably got 15 chances, it didn't make too much appeal to me. If you're talking about a race that... If you can narrow it down and you've basically you've only got four chances there, then I would go to four. And if you can get on the, with, with uh, the five places, then that's great. But it's a matter of whether you can narrow down. How does it, getting back to the old thing with value, how does it compare to my prices? If I've got, if I'm 33 to one bar four or 33 to one bar five, then maybe I could be looking at doing that. But if I'm honest, they're not bets that I would have, well, I'd have very rarely. Okay, um, if you made something five on and you could get two to five, would you back it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're yeah. not put off its values value wherever it. it oh, yeah, in the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now then, this is the final one, so the most important one. The biggest lesson that any budding Steve Lewis Hamilton should learn before getting a 10 grand tank together by whatever method before they actually embark on trying to emulate what you've done. What would you like to have known when you were in that Smithfield bank getting your, uh, getting your readies together to go to battle that you've learned uh, since? Is, is having, trying to assimilate as much knowledge as you can. There were things that I didn't know. So for, it would have been great to know at that time what bookmakers, and you would notice, I what book bookmakers had a friendship with an owner or a trainer, and it's something I, I think I touched on a little bit earlier, so that you knew if a particular bookmaker was in effect going a bigger price about a certain trainer's horse than you think it should have been, that you think, ah, but they've had a word. I got caught out on a couple of times quite majorly with that. And it was up north, and there was a particular big bookmaker that used to train, uh, that used to be good friends with a very big northern trainer. And if he ever went over the odds, that trainer's horse, you knew that there was something wrong. So that knowledge would have been quite nice and would have saved me a few quid in the early days. And in the modern era, similar thing? Yeah, I, I think it just comes back to knowledge. You can't have too much, for me, you can't have too much. 
what it does do is make it very complex. But, and, and, and that, pe that people don't find that attractive. They, they would much rather think it's far simpler. This is in life in general. It's far simpler if it's black and white. But unfortunately, as with all things in life, things are a million shades of gray. So you've got to assim assimilate as much knowledge as you can to be able to dissect it. Whether you're betting on, if you're betting on a football match again, get all the information you can about that football match, about the teams that are playing, why, why he's playing him there, why he's playing him there, what's the motive behind that match. A lot of the time, the prices are only be what you, what you come to, but knowledge is the key. Okay, well, I think through four episodes there, we've learned quite a lot of knowledge. So, uh, Steve Lewis Hamilton, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.